If you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 5. We continue in this series, and it's a very timely chapter as we talk about a voice for justice. And you look around in our culture today, and I think we are, in a way, forced to have a conversation today as we get into the Word together, and I think it's very appropriate for everything that's going on. Um, But before we read God's word, I believe he speaks to us through his word. Let's go ahead and pray together and ask his presence at this time. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. You teach us, you instruct us, you speak to us. Father, I pray that you would settle our hearts and work in our hearts right now as we hear from your word. We ask for your anointing over this time, for your blessing. And we thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to go to verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, uh, but you'll see why it's all important here, okay? So starting in verse 1. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest. It's like right out the gate, huh? You see that? They raised this cry of protest against their fellow Jews, and they were saying... We have such large families, and we need more food to survive. And others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and our vineyards to pay our taxes. And we belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. And after thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials, and I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. And at the meeting, I said to them, we are all, we are all doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then I pressed further. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brother's And my workers have been lending the people money and grain, but let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and homes to them this very day, and repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, We will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. And I shook out the folds of my robe and I said, If you you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. And the whole assembly responded, Amen. And they praised the Lord and the people did 
as they had promised. For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. The provisions I paid for each day included one ox, six choice sheep or goats, and a large number of poultry. And every 10 days, we needed a large supply of all kinds of wine. Yet I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. Remember, oh my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for it. So Nehemiah chapter 5, you can see a situation where there's injustice happening. And if you look around in our culture today, there is a lot of opinions. There's a lot of things happening right now. And wherever you fall in the midst of, of that particular topic of racism and injustice, I want to point out exactly what's happening here in the injustice that Nehemiah addresses. The first point is that he addresses this word called usury. And if you know what that word means, it's essentially charging an incredible amount of interest to people who have borrowed something from you. Now, this Persian empire, the going rate for interest on a loan, it wasn't five or six, seven or eight. It was like 40 to 50%. Imagine borrowing money on that one, going to the bank, and that's your your interest payment. But in the midst of that, here this culture is taking advantage of each other and charging incredible amounts of money to borrow from each other. It gets to the point now where their own people are starting the need to sell their own children into slavery in order to be able to make ends meet. And so that starts taking place. And then here comes this famine. Now, while those who are in the wrong didn't necessarily cause the famine, the famine brings out the offense, clear as day. It's right out in front of them. It intensifies it, if you will. The, the struggle from the external circumstance comes, and you can clearly see the offense that was taking place. There's something going on here. These people cry out, what are we going to do about this? And then you see the defense. Nehemiah, you see his response, and I think we can take notes here. Given all that's going on in our culture right now, I think we can take a clue from Nehemiah, and the first thing is this in verse 6. He says, when I heard their complaints. I think the first step in any kind of help or, or any kind of uh, effort to oppose injustice, it's listening. Listening. And there is so much noise going on in our culture right now. So much noise. It would probably do all of us well 
if we just shut our mouth and listen. Perhaps shut our mouth and open God's Word and hear what the Spirit wants to say to each of us and to seek our own response and not necessarily point fingers at people and saying they need to get with it or they need to change. Do we pause long enough to have a conversation with somebody who might be different than you? Not over Facebook. Maybe you pick up the phone and have a genuine conversation with somebody that might be different than you. And to listen from where their experience has brought them in life. And here's the thing. A lot of people have opinions. Is there truth to that? Okay, a lot of people have opinions. And I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. And he says, The cross stands high above the opinions of man. So your opinion might be right here, but here's the thing. It must come to the cross. He says, and to that cross, all opinions must come at last for judgment. So we like to say things. We like to open our mouth, but I think the first step for Nehemiah, we can take, take heed to this. He began to listen. The next thing he did is he began to empathize. You see, here's the complaints, and then in verse 6 he says, I was very angry. He began to feel the injustice that was happening, and so that led him to a place of being frustrated and angry. This is wrong. 40 to 50% is the going rate. I mean, and then selling kids into slavery so that they can pay off what needs to pay off. The injustice was real, and Nehemiah got ticked off about it. This is a righteous indignation. It's okay to get ticked off when there's something that is clearly wrong, clearly sin, clearly people taking advantage of other people. Jesus had righteous indignation when he came into the temple courts and there was like a convenience store for sacrifices. How many of you know a convenience store may not be the place to go in and purchase your everyday items? Right? It's going to be costly. And just as you're charged, it's convenient. You're there, you're getting gas or whatever, and you might as well just pick up a bag of chips for $7.50, right? Okay? It doesn't make sense, but it's convenient. And in the same way as people would travel for miles and miles to the temple to give their sacrifice, there were people in the temple courts that said, well, we have your animal right here. You don't have to bring it with you. And when you come, we'll charge you that extra amount. Just It's a convenience fee. And Jesus shows up, and he is ticked off, and he is flipping tables over. People taking advantage of other people. And there is such an outcry right now in regards to the color of people's skin. And sometimes I look and I say, how about some of the other offenses that we see against God's heartbeat in our nation? 60 million unborn, innocent children killed through the act of abortion. Where's the outcry? Do you feel the same righteous indignation for the heartbeat of God and how our culture just seems to care less? How about the sex trafficking industry taking children just like the slavery you see here in Nehemiah 5 and selling them off time and time again to very demonic things 
Where's the righteous indignation for things like that? How about for the poor or the widows and the orphan? The scriptures talk about that is pure religion when you take care of those who are orphans and widows. When you see these kinds of things happening around us, whether it be the the wrong treatment and not going about things in the right way through protocol as a police officer and giving all those who serve a black eye, I'm sorry to all those who serve. And I, You're here today, Mike. I'm sorry that that's given you guys a black eye like that. You got good people who are trying to protect and serve and stuff like this happens. At the same time, yesterday morning I'm on the phone with a gentleman who does not share the same skin color that I do. An African American man in Fort Dodge and I'm just having a conversation. I'm saying, tell me what your experience has been. I'm tired of the TV. I'm tired of Facebook, the bickering back and forth. Let's have genuine conversations with people that might be different than us. Even if we don't share the same views, can we have an honest conversation and listen and empathize and hear them? While in the midst of that, in verse 7, it says, After thinking this over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. That was a risky thing to do. Nehemiah was there to help rebuild the wall. They were not done with the wall yet. And to go to these officials, these nobles, and to address the issue, there was risk involved with that. What if they had said, get out of here, Nehemiah. We'll operate on our own terms. And he'd have been kicked out without the wall being finished. There was risk in speaking up. And I'm telling you right now, there'll be risk when you speak up for things that aren't right, things that aren't fair. He also says in verse 7, this is where you do something. He calls the public meeting to deal with the problem. Sometimes we skirt the issue, we try to go around it, we find the easiest way, the less confrontational way, the, the most comfortable way to resolve a problem when in the midst of it, sometimes you just have to deal with it. Address it. And so as he does this, I believe what starts to happen here is resolve. And I'll use the word recompense, which means to make amends. And just because I'm a preacher and I'm like, the offense, the defense, the recompense, I'm just wired that way. But he's trying to make amends. How do you make amends in the midst of a culture that is so screwed up? How do you make amends? The first thing is to fear God. The first thing is to fear God. In verse 9, he says, Should you not walk in the fear of our God? Verse 15, Nehemiah says, But because I feared God, I didn't act that way. There's a healthy respect and a fear that Nehemiah has with the Lord. And I'm telling you right now, our nation would look a lot different if people would just fear God if they'd have a healthy respect, if they could get this relationship right, this vertical relationship, their horizontal relationships will also work out. 
If you can get a healthy respect here, there'll be a healthy respect here. And I'm telling you, you don't have to look very long to just go, my goodness, people, there's such hatred right now. The first four of the Ten Commandments are vertical. The other six are horizontal. We must get this right before you expect peace amongst your brothers and sisters. Again, if there's a healthy fear of God in our country, things would be much, much different. Another part of that restoration is seeking unity. We belong to the same family. That's what they said in verse 5. We belong to the same family. And I got this quote last night, and I just want to give this to you. Unity is not the absence of differences. It's the absence of division. Unity is not the absence of differences. It's the absence of division. It's okay to have differences. That's what makes us all unique. We all have our own experiences. My experience is different than your experience. And Connie, we did this in the first service. The people that you can minister to, there's people that I can't minister to in the same way. And it's because of the way that God has designed you. And there's people that I can minister to that you can't because of the way that God has wired and designed me. It's okay to have differences. It's not okay to have division. That's where problems come into play. And as believers, we should value every color, every culture, and every class while staying focused on Jesus. Make him the priority, and our unity is a very powerful tool against the enemy. Another thing we ought to do is seek restoration. In verse 11, Nehemiah tells those around him, you must restore. You must restore. And you think of all the problems, all the issues if we could just bring some forgiveness, if we could bring in some reconciliation and restoration, you could start to see some healing happen. And that starts with the gospel. Do not expect change in people's life unless Jesus is truly a part of the equation because he is the one who transforms the heart. He is the one who brings reconciliation. There's an issue, and the issue is sin. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. There's, there's a need for restoration. Jesus brings that and he changes your heart. But if people don't have Christ in their life, they're walking around with this veil. It's like they don't even know how to act better because they haven't had Jesus transform them. We're called to be reconcilers. The Bible says that we're ambassadors for Christ and we carry this message of reconciliation with us? And are we speaking that life to other people? The next point from verse 13 is a follow-through. You see these people, when Nehemiah calls them out, they respond, amen, let it be so. And the people did as they promised. And what I pull from that is it's important not to just have the conversations, not just to think about it, wonder what it would look like if change happened, but to actually do something about it. What is it that you can do in the kingdom of God to work against the injustices that are all across this land? What are things that you see where you go, something's wrong with that? What are you doing about that? 
God gives you that vision. God gives you the eyes to see those things. What are you doing about it? And don't tell me I posted something here. I'm done. <laughs> it's such a fantasy world, social media, when meanwhile there's the reality of what people are walking through. What are we doing to make a difference in this life? The last point is to seek God's favor. This whole passage ends, he says, Remember, O oh my God, all that I have done for these people and bless me for it. What I get from that is if you find God's heartbeat, watch out. Because his blessing is upon those who go after the things his heart beats for. So if you see injustices, if God brings those things to your attention, whatever it might be, you can clearly see something is not right, something's not fair. God puts that on your heart, and what are you going to do about it? And if you respond, watch out, because God will blow the doors open, and he will bless. And I want to give you a testimony to that by this guy named George Mueller. And maybe you've heard that name before, but George Mueller was a Christian evangelist, and he was also the director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. He's in an orphanage, 300 kids, 300 kids, no parents. This man steps in because it's what God called him to. This is the heartbeat God has. And you want to watch God bless somebody. I want to just give you his testimonial of God blessing. Listen to this. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Mueller of that. George asked her to take the 300 into the dining room and have them sit at the table. And he thanked God for the food, and he waited. 300 kids, no food, sitting in this room, and he just thanks God for it. It's not even there yet. George knew that God would provide food for the children, as he always did. And within minutes, a baker knocks on the door. Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. So I got up and I baked three batches for you and I will bring it in. Pretty cool, huh? Look at how God blesses those who go after his heartbeat, but I'm not done. Soon there was another knock. It was the milkman, of course. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time that the wheel was fixed, so he asked George if he could use some free milk. Of course. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk, and it was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. You find where God's heartbeat is, and God's favor will be upon you. You don't have to be divisive as you, as you search out the injustice. You just say, God, put me where you want me and help me make a difference. 
So in response today, I have a few questions for you. The first is this. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? What's he saying? Perhaps there's someone in your life that is maybe at a disadvantage. And the Lord's put them in your life for a reason. Maybe there's something that you need to do. Not just think about it or talk about it, but actually do something about it. Perhaps there's a situation in your life that needs restoration. Maybe there's a forgiveness that needs to take place with an offense that's gone down. The answer to all injustice is Jesus Christ. Think about what he went through. If anybody knows what it's like to be taken advantage of, it's Jesus. You think about this for a second. Here's an innocent man who was unfairly, unfairly accused, falsely accused. And then he was falsely arrested. And then they began to beat and torture this man, scourge him. Then they send him to a cross and say, carry that. And off he goes with this on his back. Goes up Mount Calvary and then they nail him to this cross. The agonizing pain of what that would would be, I don't think we can even relate. And then they lift him up and for hours the struggle to breathe. Innocent man taken advantage of wrongfully accused, wrongfully tried, wrongfully killed. But out of God's mercy, this seems so unfair, but God sent Jesus to bring about reconciliation. If it wasn't for Jesus, where would we all be? And since you have him, how can he make a difference? through you. There's a lot of finger pointing going on right now, and I want to encourage all of us to just point to ourselves and say, what is Jesus doing in my life right now? And what does he want me to do? How does he want me to serve in his kingdom and make a difference? Let's close our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for how you speak into our lives. Today, as we've been in Nehemiah, you've brought us to this conversation about the injustices that are happening around us. Our culture right now centers a lot of that on race, but Lord, help us to see all of the injustices that you see right now. Open our eyes, God. And as we see them, help us to respond. Help us. Father, we pray for your protection over those who protect and serve our nation. Be with them, be with their families. We pray for peace over this nation. The incredible unrest. We ask for resolve we ask, Lord, that that you would heal our land, heal our hearts, heal relationships. We 
lift this to you. And Father, for anyone right now that would desire getting things right in that vertical relationship with you, I want to lead them in a prayer to receive Jesus and ask for forgiveness. Will you pray with me in your heart? Just simply say, Jesus, today I surrender. And I ask for forgiveness. Please forgive me. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And help me to live for you in your kingdom and to serve you and to serve others. I thank you for this gift of salvation. I receive you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we close with this time of response and worship, I just want to lead anyone that maybe prayed that prayer of salvation with me. If you did so, back at our welcome desk, we have this resource called Now What? You can also see this on the screen if you're watching online. This resource Now What? is designed to help you in your next steps of your faith journey. And so please take this resource with you as a gift today. And as we worship, we think about all the blessings that God places in our life. They're there because of Jesus Christ.